Welcome to Mental Health Uncovered, a show dedicated to having candid, everyday conversations about mental health. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. Welcome back to another episode of Mental Health Uncovered. This is Seth Showalter, your host, and today I have the privilege of interviewing Will Harrison. Will Harrison is someone that I met online, and I have the privilege of interviewing today. And one of the things we're going to focus on is his mental health journey. So, Will, to kind of kick this off, fill fill me in. How are you doing today? Today I'm doing pretty well. Um, My wife and kids had the last two weeks off because she's a teacher, and they had the two weeks off a break. So um, it hasn't been as busy as it usually is. So it's been good to have some time to just relax, not get up, not get up as early for work, um, and just kind of start the new year with a little bit of self-care. Hey, I'm all about that self-care. It's so incredibly important. Well, as I mentioned, part of our show is all about talking about people's mental health journey and how they got to where they are now from where they were before. So to get started, can you tell me a little bit about what life was like for you growing up? Yeah, absolutely. So I um, have a rare condition called Noguer's syndrome. And Noguer's syndrome is quite rare. Um, it affects, the statistics are kind of all over the place, but it affects roughly a couple hundred thousand people around the world. It could be more, but, you know, due to not being able to assess what things are like in other parts of the world. We don't really know um, how widely sure. it is. Sure. Um, so I grew up in rural South Carolina, um, and to give you a little idea of what Milius is, so in utero, my facial nerves now developed, so the 56 cranial nerves um, didn't develop, so I, I couldn't smile, couldn't make facial expressions. The first thing that people really notice when they use is probably that my eyes um, you know, my eyes are kind of, in, they're formed in towards each other because I have a seriousness. Um, and also don't notice the speech. So um, I have a hard time pronouncing certain letters like P is in pineapple, P is in boys, because mm-hmm. I don't really get full look closer. Um, I grew up in rural South Carolina. Um, my mom, uh, my, I grew up with my mom and my grandparents. My dad left when I was three which is something I think that once that happens, you never really get over that. Um, it's something you're kind of always working through throughout life because, you know, here's your mom, but where's your dad? Um, I had a lot of surgeries growing up. I've had about 20 surgeries in my first 20 years of life. I'm now 41. I faced a lot of bullying in school. I didn't meet anyone with this condition I have until I was 29, so... I went 29 years without needing anyone else with Mobius. And um, another thing that would come pretty important is that I grew up um, in uh, SBC church. And for us, church was everything. You know, I was there Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. So for me growing up, everything revolved around church. So church was really important. Do you think that was church important because of your, because of your mom? and kind of the family, or did you find that interest in church on your own? 
No, um, it was a family thing. So we, it was a very small church, maybe a hundred people on a good Sunday. Um, and it was, it was the whole family. Um, we were, we were always there. Um, I think that as I got older, I took a lot of interest on my own. So, um, when I say I was a hundred percent in, I was a hundred percent in to probably the thirties. Oh, wow. The other thing I wanted to point out is that my mom married my stepdad when I was about eight or nine. Uh, however, my stepdad had a lot of issues on his own. He was an alcoholic, uh, greatly abusive. So um, I grew up with this this shame. Um, and, you know, he was very, he would come home, he'd yell at you. And so you're getting bullied at school, but in a way, you're also getting bullied at home. So, uh, you know, I had that going on for many years. Sure. Sure. And so your dad left at three. I can only imagine what that's been like. Have you ever been able to reconnect with your father? Has like, what's that relationship been like throughout the years? So is, is it just gone or like what happened there? It, it is just gone. Um, okay. He, okay. Did, he did reach out. Well, I should say his girlfriend at the time reached out a couple of years ago. Um, Nothing really prepares you for someone wanting to come back into your life when you when you when they've been out of your life in that point it was really forty years and so I have a lot of emotions mm-hmm. of do I connect with him, do I not connect with him? And from what I could tell from that I never messaged him directly, I didn't message his girlfriend. And what I could tell I I don't I don't know his heart, I don't know what he's thinking, but I couldn't really tell why he wanted to, to get back in touch after all these years. And I think for me, that was more important. You know, are, are you wanting to do it just to, are you really wanting a relationship? Or is it just something that you feel like you need to do because you feel guilty? So I never was able to figure that out. And I still haven't. So he did, so hold up. So he did try to reach out? His, uh, his, his girlfriend at the time did. And he, his girlfriend. Yeah, he never reached okay. out directly with his girlfriend. Did. Okay, gotcha. And how did that resolve? Because I bet that was pretty triggering for you. I okay. told her I wasn't ready. That's. I'm really and proud of you for that. I, yeah, I, 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 I agonized over it because Susie was saying, you know, you should come down and meet him. You want to meet you. You want to meet the grandkids. And I'm like. You're counting my kids, your grandkids, but you never did a part of my life, no less their life. And so I think that kind of made me really weary. And I just, and I just said, you know what? I can't, I can't do this right now. It was doing, uh, it was uh, doing you know, the COVID, and there's a lot of other stuff going on. And uh, yeah, I just wasn't ready. And I don't, I don't know if I will be ready. You know, I don't think anything really prepares you for for facing something like that. Well, I think that there is a path uh, of forgiveness to go down, but it takes a lot of work and it's hard work and we have to take our time and no one is rushing you and don't ever feel rushed. But if you start to feel like you're holding resentment in your heart, that's keeping you stuck, then that's something to explore. But until you're ready to do that, don't allow anyone to force you or push you, okay? Because I can only imagine what that's been like for you throughout all this time to go without a father. 
and I'm so sorry to hear about the the disorder. I mean, it sounds like it's affected your life in many ways. And can we talk a little bit about how you've coped with this condition? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So growing up, one of the dangers I think of of spirituality and a lot one of the dangers in a lot of evangelicals is the ability to hide our feelings. The ability to over spiritualize our feelings and the ability to spiritually bypass what we're feeling and thinking. And growing up I was kinda of seen as whole oh, here's this kid who who has this disability but he loves Jesus and I don't think no one ever really showed me how to identify my emotions with that. Um, you know, I would go around to different churches and share my story, you know, yeah, God made you this way. Um, but at the same time, I didn't really know who I was. And so I think that part of the issue at that point was I didn't know about the negative feelings of, of, of just the anger, the frustration. I, I did feel a little bit of that as a teen, but I kind of suppressed those emotions. And so it's taken a lot of years of hard work to say, hey, you know what? On the one hand, I don't regret being going this way. But on the other hand, there are a lot of challenges, and there have been a lot of challenges throughout the years. Can we talk about what some of those challenges have looked like or what some of those challenges have been? Yeah, absolutely. So I think the first challenge um, I had was dating. Um, I think that um, when you are someone who's different, you really delete, at least for me, I really deleted for a long time that I was unlovable, mm-hmm. that no one would ever love me in, in that way. And I deleted that um, early until I met my life. And so I went to my whole high school years in college years, wanting to date, trying to date, not really knowing how to date. Um, and then um, it wasn't until I met my wife, and I never, never had a conversation I had with her because um, she knew that I just did not trust easily. And um, she had to say, Will, I love you for you. And even after we got married, I would ask her, like, it's not hard living with me who, who's different. And she, she said, well, no, I love you for you. And I always have loved you for you. So I think that coming to accept that it can be challenging because on one hand, you know your spouse loves you. But on the other hand, you know mm-hmm. that you're different. And you know that for years, you face that, that rejection. And on the other hand, when I had kids, we are five now, when I had kids, and I remember trying to prepare myself for the day when that conversation would come up, dads are different. And I think my son, my oldest son was about six, and he said, Dad, how come you can't smile? And I had this long explanation. Mm. I got like three words, and he mm-hmm. goes, it's okay, Dad. I love you. And um, that's just how it's been for my kids. Um, I, I think one of the neat things about it is I've been able to really teach my kids about diversity and helping them understand that everyone um, should be treated equal, should be treated equal, and everyone needs to be loved and accepted. So dating has definitely been a challenge. What else has been difficult? One of the other challenges I really faced early on was um, 
you're getting a job. So um, I'm now a clinical social worker. That's uh, that's another part of the story. But my bio, my undergrad degree is in, in, in bio and youth ministry. And when I graduated, I um, interviewed at an organization um, in Atlanta that did um, a lot of cross-cultural youth ministry at the time. And I remember going into the interview, the interview went really well, and I never heard back. And so, you know, two weeks later, I called and said, hey, you know, just going to follow up, what's going on? And the guy literally said to me, he goes, we're not going to hire you because people can't mm-hmm. understand you. We, we're afraid that people won't be able to understand what you're saying when you talk to them on the phone. Um, and that just kind of floored me. But then again, I was only in my early 20s, so I didn't know how to process that. And they said, well, you should probably just go work in the church. I said, okay, fine. So at that point, I, I just wanted to do whatever it took to, for me to be successful. So I... um got an internship in a church out in Colorado and moved out to, to Denver. It was supposed to be a year-long internship, and I um, got three months into it. And they just decided to end it. It um, really gave me a reason why. Um, it, just, it just ended. And I, I think what was hard for me at that moment was I never knew if, if it was because of my disability, lack of knowledge, but what was hard for me is that I was, at that point in my life, I just wanted to be a sponge. I wanted to soak up things around me. I wanted to learn. Mm-hmm. I wanted to grow. Mm-hmm. I knew I didn't have all the skills. I knew I didn't have all the knowledge. I just wanted to to, to learn every mentor, and, and that didn't happen. So, you know, looking back to South Carolina at that point, and then just went through a, a long period of depression, what I now know to be depression, uh, but at that point, I didn't have any words, words for it. Um, Eventually, met my wife and moved to Michigan a couple of years later. So it sounds like communication has been a challenge as well. And that's impacted you in getting a job. In what other ways has difficulty communicating re- resulted in difficulty in your life? I think communication, a lot of times people will just, you could for example, with someone you don't know, you'll be having a conversation and they'll just totally mistake what you're saying. And, um, you know, sometimes it's, it's worth to try to correct that or say, hey, I meant this, but sometimes you just go with that and, and ignore it. Um, and there's times I think I've, I've learned to laugh at this point because I realize if someone really wants to get to know me, they will get to know me. Um, if someone wants to have a conversation with me, they will have a conversation with me. Um, and you know, it, 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 there are times when it's going to be kind of funny. Um, I remember uh, around the time my first son was born, I was at Costco getting chicken grass, and I asked the lady, I said, where's the chicken grass? And she goes, why do you want my address? So I, I think there's times when um, I, I do laugh about it, uh, but and, and I think there's times I try to over-communicate um, to people. Sometimes I won't use certain words because I know that those words will be hard to understand. People have a hard time understanding those words. So yeah, there's a lot of conversation, I think. Is that something that can get better, or is is that pretty stagnant? I'm just curious due to the condition. I think it's I think it's stagnant. I, I don't know how to use that word. I, I think I would just say it's, it's where I'm at, mm-hmm. and I'm okay mm-hmm. with it. Um, it doesn't, you know, for me, it, 
it, it does get frustrating at times, but I don't let Good. it. I don't let it get me down. Don't get me wrong. Right. There's things that are definitely hard, but but I think that overall, I just I don't live in those moments. I know, um, I know now what my worth is. And I think once you know what your worth is, you just you just move on. It's so critical. Understanding your worth and value is so incredibly important, and I can't I Absolutely. can't stress that enough. And it sounds like you've really taken steps towards towards developing a really good sense of self in order to be strong. And it sounds like yeah. you've been through some very serious tr- challenges that have made life difficult, um, that have forced you to essentially form a, a sense of self that can withstand um, another word of uh, that we might re- refer to that as would be resilience. I would consider you to be a very resilient person, given your challenges and what you've been able to overcome. Looking at that, you mentioned that you are a social worker. I am as well. Tell me a little bit about your journey into social work. That's a really cool journey. Um, so. After after Bible college, um, I eventually moved to Michigan, got married. Um, I spent seven years working um, at a retirement home doing housekeeping. Still, at, at that point, I think I still wanted to be an initiator with that. So I kept on thinking I needed to be an initiator in the industry. So, um, the one of the one of the things that I this early on is so when you when you grow up in a bubble, you really don't know how to relate to people who aren't like you. And what, what those years did for me, it really helped me find friendships and relationships with people who just who weren't like me, like, like non-Christians. Um, and I got to know them for who they were and found them to be absolutely amazing people. And, and even to this day, I'll say that, you know, I've had some good jobs. What I've loved the most is that are the co-workers I've had. I've had a lot of amazing co-workers throughout the years. So we have several kids with medical needs. And during... My daughter, who's now nine, when she was a year old, she had cleft palate repair. And, and during that surgery, there was some complications. So afterwards, she was rushed back into surgery due to some bleeding and spent that week on a ventilator um, in, in the ICU. And so that was just a really traumatic experience in my life. And I, but I remember in that week thinking, you know what? I really want to work with families. And I've been thinking that a little bit before. But... A couple months later, we were meeting with a friend, and she said, Will, you really should consider going into social work. I had never, you know, I was in my mid-30s at the time. Up to that point, it never crossed my mind about this field. You know, you hear about it, but when you hear social work, you always hear it in a negative way, like CPS or, or even obviously, oh, food, food stamps, you know. So people really don't know what social work is. So on, that, on, on the way home that night, I looked at my wife and said, I'm going back to grad school. She looks at me, she goes, no, they're not. And the reason she said that is because I'm not a go-getter. I'm really, I'm really an reluctant person where I look at everything before I make a decision. But so I applied to grad school. Um, got accepted to um, Catholic University in D.C. and started, that was in May. I started grad school that August. So, congratulations! You know, did it online for three and a half years and graduated in 2019 and got my clinical license last April. 
so you got your clinical as well. Yeah. Where did you do your um your clinical hours? Uh, I was working. So I was working on my first job after after grad school. Was working at um, an agency that does case management for adults with disabilities. So um, I was a case manager for a while. I was there almost three years and working with parents and 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 adults with disabilities and kind of help them get the services that they need. Okay. I just ask because, you know, getting those hours um, is a beast uh, and it, it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of money uh, and it's a process. So I am always curious to, to learn about people's experience with, uh, with getting licensure. And yeah, here, in this, here in Michigan, I think there's 4,000, I believe it's 4,000 working hours after graduation. Yep. And then you also need to do like 90 something hours of, of clinical supervision. So yep. yeah, it's definitely, and then you have the national exam. So that, that's quite a bit. Yeah, it's a lot. Um, it is. It's a lot. So what did you think of school? Was it um, interesting to you? Was it boring? What What did you think? I loved grad school. Um, social work, grad school really opened my eyes to all the things I never saw growing up. Mm-hmm. So it, it exposed me to worldviews I had no clue about. Really helped me understand um, the way systems work. Um, helped me understand about uh, inequality. I, I remember one of my first really conversations I had was uh, my first class in grad school was on diversity, and I knew a little bit of what a question was like. So, you know, having a disability, you realize, you know, that things aren't equal. It's mm-hmm. it's not that hard to figure out. But when I heard about police brutality, I don't know, I never, really, never heard about this. I got, it's never crossed my mind. So I called a friend who grew up in Chicago, and we just, um, she just really told me a lot about what was going on. And I, and I think once you see something, you can't unsee it. So yeah. that began, that began, so basically the world we I grew up with began to really crumble and that world we began to strengthen um, and to see that there is systematic injustice. There is a lot of things that you're never taught that, that are there. Mm-hmm. So I, I loved grad school and um, it was a really good experience for me. Great. And now that you have your license, where has this brought you? Uh, what are you doing with this? Currently, I work as a therapist and um, a primary care office um, in Detroit. And so I, after getting that clinical license last year, I was working in another another agency that the child just wasn't going that great. Um, I also started doing private practice on the side Unfortunately, though, the private practice didn't take off like I wanted to, but it really showed me how much I love doing therapy and love being a therapist and love walking with people on their journey. So now mm-hmm. I work with people who, um, it, it, it's a very underserved area. So mm-hmm. just started that job in, in November and really enjoying it so hard because it really allows me to work with, you know, with doctors, with social workers and it's we call it collaborative care. You're able yeah. to really see the whole person, and um, it's it's been really really neat experience so far. So, how long have you been working as a therapist? Uh, almost a year. 
Congratulations, yeah. Will. Absolutely. Well, I want to thank you so much for coming on to Mental Health Uncovered. It means the world to me. And I think that your story is incredibly important. And I think that you have overcome so much. And I think that you're making a difference in people's lives every single day. Uh, I had no, I mean, your life is a walking example of what people can do. 
um, and making changes that are proactive and um, what's the word I'm looking for that are proactive, resilient, and powerful. Like it's in, so encouraging and uplifting to see. And so with that, you know, we said this earlier, but I, I can't um, emphasize this enough. You have to know what you have to know your worth because until you know mm-hmm. your worth, you won't, you won't um, take those challenges. You won't take those risks. But once you know your worth, it changes everything. Agreed. Agreed. And with that, everyone, focus on your worth and have a wonderful day. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please remember that Mental Health Uncovered does not provide any type of therapeutic, clinical, psychiatric, or medical advice and is intended for entertainment purposes only. If you need such care, I encourage you to find such a professional in your community. You can locate and access your local crisis line by calling 988. Thanks again for listening. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.